morning, I, the message that I have here for us, you know, I'm, I was excited in the first service to share it. I'm excited in this service to share it, and I'll be excited in the third service to share it tonight. <laughs> but, you know, we all go through difficult times. We have good seasons and bad seasons. We have very good seasons and very bad seasons, and sometimes we have really bad seasons, good seasons, like very good, but really bad. And these bad seasons, when they're really bad they're very hard to take and it's very hard to be able to see any good in them. It's very hard to imagine that any good can come from them when we're in the midst of them. They're just dark. In the text that we're looking at this morning, we're going to be looking in the book of Hebrews and uh, the one, one of the many verses or the few verses that we're going to be looking at is Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11 and it's, uh, it really shows us God's divine plan in our lives, you know, that He is in control of our lives. Even in these darkest moments, God has His hand on our lives. And, um, and the title of this message, Preserving, uh, or Persevering Divine Discipline, you know, when I think of discipline, I think of, you know, it's got a negative connotation to it as far as pain goes. And that's what this verse 12 says. It says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there um, will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. But when I, when, as we study these scriptures, we're going to see that the, the word discipline here that I'm talking about is not a negative thing. It's a painful thing and it's a hard thing in our lives, but it's not a negative thing. One thing I'm very excited about, and it took a while in my young life as a Christian and coming to and getting to know the Lord, was that He wasn't standing over me, just waiting for me to do something wrong, and was going to swap me with a stick or slap me upside the head. And when I discovered that God was gracious and uh, forgiving, what a beautiful thing. And then, you know, as you grow and you grow in that, realizing, okay, God's not out to get me. He's out to just sort of direct my life and just to help me find my way in Him. And I think that when we discover that, it's just so good. We're never afraid to go to the Lord. You know, like verse in Hebrews, wherever it is, 12.16 or... Uh, no, it's not. It's, uh, but anyways, 4.16, I think it is, or 4.12. And it says that to, to come to the throne of grace with confidence in our time of need. And uh, that's one verse that is just lived with me and, and goes with me all the time. But before we start, Father, we just commit this service to you, the rest of this service to you, this word, this message to you. We pray that you would open our eyes, help us to hear, Lord, what it is that your Spirit's saying to each one of us as individuals. And uh, we pray, Father God, that the fruit is just to, to really to do and care about what your will is for our lives, Father God, and uh, that we do hear, hear you and walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, you know that what I'm talking about when it comes to divine discipline and these struggles and these hard times that we go through. And if you haven't been walking with the Lord long, it doesn't mean that you haven't been going through difficult times in your life, but when you know the Lord and you know that, the, that His purposes for your life and that he's in control of your life you understand that he's for you and when you understand that he's for you and you're going through these difficult things there's a rest that you can have as you go through these dark moments and i pray that this morning that uh, at the end of this we have a confidence in what the lord is trying to communicate to us as individuals as a body here in red deer and as the church of jesus christ in the city of red deer and so I pray that if you need encouragement, that at the end you're going to be encouraged. I pray that if you need to be strengthened, that at the end you're going to be strengthened. 
And I pray that if you need to be convicted, I really pray that God's Holy Spirit will convict you and point you and move you closer to Him and, and have a passion and a desire to care about what God desires for you in your life because He has lots in store for His people. So what I'm sharing this morning, a lot of what I'm sharing, probably the first half of what I'm sharing, is going to be a little bit of a testimony about how God has taken His divine discipline and... Uh, drew me to himself, trained me up in, in, in knowing him and then hearing his voice and being able to respond to him in, in ways that probably should have and probably shouldn't have all through this walk. But as a young man, I never grew up in the church. I didn't know anything about the church. Uh, I didn't know the Lord, but I believed in God. My mom went to church, and I went to church with her probably five times in my lifetime. Maybe it was more, but I don't remember once. But I'm saying five. But, you know, like, and uh, it was a church where you just go and you go home. I remember asking the Sunday school teacher one time, what if Jesus wasn't born? She says, that wouldn't happen. I said, but what if he wasn't? It doesn't happen. It wouldn't happen. <laughs> and she got mad at me, and then so I never asked another question. You know, and I think, ah, oh, wow. When I look back, I think, that wasn't the way to answer that question. But when I met Karen, um, she was a young girl who went to church. And that kind of thing, for some reason, and I think it's a God thing, it really attracted me to her. Many other things attracted me to her, but that was one thing that attracted me to her. <laughs> As a, Personally, myself, I was a very insecure young guy, and I really didn't have a clue about a lot of stuff. And, you know... When I was younger, I was very stubborn, and I really demanded my own way a lot. It's really amazing to me that when I look back that she put up with me in that way, because I was really quite strong that way. You know, I shouldn't reveal all this stuff to you. You're all going to really turn sideways at me. But, you know, first thing I said to Karen, well, when we were going to go out, I said to her, I says, okay, I said, but one thing you have to know, I have no money, and I'm the boss. (laughs) <laughs> I said a lot of dumb things when I was young. And then she just said, okay, sure. But there's a school out there that I attended, and it's called the School of Hard Knocks. Anybody been to the School of Hard Knocks? Ah, a few of you. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I began there, but I eventually transferred over because that was, man, that was difficult. At one point, I can distinctly remember saying to myself, I'm going to go to the, I'm going to learn from the school of hard knocks. Like, I didn't have a clue what I was saying. But I thought, I don't want to be responsible. I want to just be free and I want to do whatever. I'm not even going to worry about the consequences. I'm just going to give her in life and just do whatever I want to do. And This morning, I want to share about how God, in his sovereignty, moved in my life to draw me to himself and how he revealed himself to me and has been training me through this divine discipline. Uh, And then going through this school of hard knocks, you definitely don't forget the lessons you learn in that school. And I, you know, I didn't totally abandon my sense of common sense, although there wasn't a lot there, but I didn't totally abandon it. And I thank God I didn't because the people that I was with, I would bet that most of them aren't even living today because they, you know, most of them did abandon their common sense and were doing things that were going to ultimately lead to their physical death. 
But I thank the Lord. I just thank the Lord that he had his hand on my life because I really believe that he did. I, you know, I did care about what was right and wrong as far as what I thought was right and wrong. And, um, but other than caring about that, I also just lived footloose and fancy free, just letting it fly. You know, two of my really not so smart sayings that I would say, and Karen used to shake her head at me and tell me how dumb that was, but nobody's going to tell me what to do. And then the other one was first me, then everybody else. See, you guys, you learned a lot about me this morning. Eh? What I was like when I was younger, you think, oh, wow, that guy's been transformed. <laughs> Either that or he's an idiot and, we, idiot and we don't know it. <laughs> when I got into working into the world, it doesn't take long before you soon find out that, yeah, you will be told what to do. And yeah, it's not all about you. And uh, that's where this school of hard knocks would begin because I quit school at 15 and I started working then full time and you learn that lesson pretty fast. And looking back, I can see the hand of God protecting me and uh, even saving my life on a number of occasions, like really, literally, miraculously saving my life. And, and, but I can also see him allowing a lot of the pressures that, that uh, come into my life that made it possible for me to look toward him. But these, I could see at a point in my life, I could see that the consequences of where I was going and what I was doing were a very good possibility that they were going to end up being catastrophic in my life. And the final straw was on a night when I was, we were, there was about seven of us and we were flying around, chasing each other around Bentley in the cars. And, and I had a bottle of whiskey in one hand and just chasing, and I had a, a 69 Firebird convertible, and I had nine kids in the car. And one of the kids got thrown out that night, and I didn't find out about it until the next day. And uh, at that time, I owed everybody money. I had warrants out for my arrest. I smashed up my car, and then when it was in getting fixed, it was vandalized, and it, everything in it was stolen out of it. And then so, you know, and I believe it was that night, but close to that night, I remember I was laying in bed and I was crying and I was just looking at the ceiling and I was saying, God, I hate my life, change it. And then I woke up, like, you know, I don't know for sure if this was exactly how this went, but I woke up one morning, and I think the next morning, but I woke up with this amazing idea. I'm going to find Karen and I'm going to marry her. And (laughs) I was living at my uncle's place. And my cousin was living at my uncle's place. We were rooming and boarding there. And when I got up in the morning, I went to the kitchen table. I said, I'm going to find Karen and I'm going to marry her. And they laughed their heads off. They thought that was the funniest thing they ever heard. Because it was so not like me to even think like that. But, you know, Karen and I, we had met three months before this. And, you know, there was, I really liked her. And, but like the punk that I was... I thought, man, I'm 17 and I'm too young to feel like this about somebody because it was really different. I can remember walking down the street in Bentley and it was like the cupids hit me and it was like, I I can remember, we stopped on the street and I just looked at her and I thought, wow, I like you. (laughs) You know, and and then, but because I, I was too young and I thought, man, I'm too young to feel like this, I took off. It was the way I did things. It was just amazing how I lived life like that. So then I come up, woke up with this brainwave. I'm going to find her. I'm going to marry her. I'm going to settle down. I'm going to change my life. And then so I went and I, I looked, found her where she was at, like probably at her house. <laughs> and I asked her if she would go out with me and she said no. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I thought, wow. 
I didn't expect her to say no. And then I was devastated. I thought, huh. And then so I tried it again. She said, no. And I tried it again. She said, no. And then I thought, maybe she's not going to go out with me. Maybe I'm not going to marry her. But then I, I thought, okay, I'm going to try once more. And if she says no, then I'm going to leave. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back to Vancouver where I'd come from a few months before this. I was going to go back. And so I asked her out, and she said yes. So that's amazing, eh? Amazing. And then so we went on a, a date that, uh, you know, right close to then. She said she'd go out with me. So we set up a dinner date. We were going out, and I asked her that night to marry me. <laughs> she said Yes. <laughs> so I was doing the happy dance because I knew in my mind what I was going to do and I was and I was determined I was going to do this you know on her consent of course but we were going to I was going to settle down and I was going to work and I was just going to change my life because I could see that I was if I was kept going the way I was going I was either going to kill somebody or I was going to end up in jail for a long time or kill somebody and end up in jail for a long time. That was really very clear and written very loud in my mind. So I'm saying all of this to look to just to, you know, looking back on the sovereignty of God in my life and how he was working to squeeze me and to pressure me and by his foreknowledge knowing that I would look up, that I would look to him, that I would call out to him. And... Uh, As Jesus opened my eyes further to who he was and what he was expecting of me, I accepted his offer and I asked Jesus to be the Lord and the center of my life. He began to move in just such incredible ways in my life to convince me that he was uh, real and that he really did want to have a real, vibrant, intimate relationship with me. And I was thinking like, like he was really convincing me and I was thinking, the creator of the universe is going to have a relationship with me like this is he's that real and you know I was extremely excited and I was ready and willing to have this go on in my life and God was answering my prayers to convince me that he was real we were going to all kinds of church events and little conferences and stuff like that and I was very often I was being picked out of the crowd a lot of times from the speaker. And, and back in the day there, there was, they had a real strong prophetic mantle. It seemed like everywhere. And uh, I would very often be picked out, yeah, you young man, stand up, you know, and then they would prophesy over me. And they would speak words that God was stirring in my heart. He was speaking to me already. And it was just like God was speaking to me continually. He was speaking to me in my heart, speaking to me when I was, I was praying, and he was picking me out of the crowds and speaking to me through the prophetic he was really doing a work to convince me of how real he was. So I really literally felt like I had a whole new lease on life. I loved it. I surrendered my life to Christ. I was baptized in water. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was learning to pray. And I was learning about fasting. And I was seeing God move in just spectacular ways. And there was no doubt in my mind that he was so real and that he was right there wanting to be the center of my very being. So one example, out of I could share so many of them, but one example of how he spoke to me, our church would have these season, or these times called presbytery. What they were was uh, 
the church would do a corporate fasting and prayer like we do here, three nights or three, three days of fasting and prayer. So we were challenged as a church to do a three-day fasting and prayer. And then the pastor would pick a few people out of, out of the congregation to be prayed over, spoke over. And then the church would come together on an evening and we would have just an evening service where it was just praise and just worshiping God. These three men were strong in the prophetic and some, some of them were known as prophets and their prophetic words were incredibly precise. Uh, when Karen and I met, we, uh, the very first time we met, we met at a party. And so I just thought, you know, we met at a party so God wasn't there. You know, he, was, he wouldn't have been at that party. So as, after we were Christians, I remember saying so many times, God, you have done something, made something so good out of what we started in that relationship. And I said that a number of times to myself. I never said it to anybody else. I said it just in my heart saying, man, Lord, I'm just like, wow, you've done, made something so good out of something we started. And so these guys, you know, that service were, were there. Like these guys would say something about your past. They would say something about the present. They would say something about the future for you. And uh, that's, you know, potentially going to come into your life. And that was all explained to us that you don't live by these prophecies, you know. Like when it comes to the future things, you just sort of put it on the shelf. And if it resonates, great. It's exciting. It's fun. But if it doesn't, just put it on the shelf and see if God does bring that to pass. Well, this, we were, we were picked out, and so we were kneeling up front there on these two chairs. These three guys were standing there, and they would, we'd all worship. And then these guys, we would worship until one of these guys felt like they had a word. And the first thing, one of them comes up, and he lays his hand on my head, and he says, Oh, man, he says, I'm the one that brought you two together. It is not your own doing. And I just thought, whoa, the hair on my neck stood up, and I thought, man, God is in the house, and he's speaking to me. And it was like, it was incredible. And it went on. Like these three guys, like we had, they prophesied over us what everybody would love to have prophesied over about so many different areas. And, and like it was one of the most impacting lives, lives nights in my, my life, and I think Karen's life. But it was, it was incredible. And it was just no doubt that God was speaking. It was like God was speaking audibly because it was such clarity and precision of stuff in our past Stuff in the present that's going on. Just another thing was, just throw it out, just wasn't going to mention, but, you know, at the end of it all, I, I, I play the guitar. And uh, at the time, I was just, you know, leading small groups a little bit. And I was just really struggling with it. I just really, in my, the way I am, in my insecurities, just fighting it, but yet feeling like God was telling me to do it. And then the one guy, at the, right, at the end of it, he comes up to me, or comes standing, and he goes, man, he says, I see you with a guitar. And then everybody just sort of roars and laughs because everybody, you know, everybody knows how much I'm fighting with this. And he says, God wants you to get that guitar out and learn those courses and lead young people in music. <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> and, and who knows what I missed not doing it. You know, I did it for a little bit, but I didn't do it like I should have done it because I wish I could now. But, you know, it was that precise. It was like, man, they would pick things out of your life that you were doing, and, like, and it wasn't just something that's generic. It was personal, and it was, you know, right in there. So I knew that God was speaking. And so I'm saying all of this because when I look back on these times of life, I can see so clearly God's divine discipline um, squeezing me to a place where I could hear him and I could respond to his call to meet with him, and what an encounter that was. Once God had established himself on the throne of my heart, the center of who I was, 
And he became very obviously real, like there was just no doubt left in my heart that God was real. And as he trained me in this and was revealing his word to me and helping me to learn his word, then God, it was like it was a time to become clean. It was a time to become honest with God and with myself. And he challenged me with past hurts. You know, what are you going to do with these? Because you have to forgive. And, he, you know, my stubborn will that I had. I was to do God's will in everything. Not my will, but your will be done, Lord. And my bad attitude that when things weren't going my way. I was learning in his word that I was to live a surrendered life and for the sake of others. I was actually supposed to prefer others. This is like the exact opposite of word. My training was from the devil. You know, like instead of all about me, nobody's going to tell me what to do. God was teaching me in his word. It was the exact opposite of what he was expecting of me. And so in my difficulties, as he's squeezing me and I'm learning these things, this is how he's expecting me to respond. This is how he's teaching me. He's teaching me his word, and so the pressure comes from a relationship. There's, there's got to be forgiveness. There's no choice. Like in God's word, there's, it's what it says. So this is what we do, you know, and uh, it's just an amazing thing. And one of the, you know, in all of this, I was discovering that God was not like me and that my thoughts were not his thoughts. And so we see that verse in Isaiah 58. I probably got to go through a couple here. It says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. These, all these quotes are coming out of the New Living Translation. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. I was learning that, that my thinking had to change. And this concerned me. And I did resist it first because this was really going to be something that was going to set me apart from the people that we knew because it wasn't the people from the church, and even, it might even set you apart from some of them. But I had relatives and friends and co-workers who would not like me if I became this committed. But, you know, it became very obvious to me that I had to change the way I thought. I had no choice. I had to change. And uh, one of the, these verses, we are all more than familiar with them, is Romans it says, don't copy the behaviors of the customs of this world, but this is the line, but let God transform you in a new per, uh, into a new person by changing the way you think. You know, that's what God was saying to me, that let me transform you, Mark, into a new person by the way you think. And so I was discovering just because I thought something was right didn't necessarily make it right. And it didn't necessarily mean it was right and so we have this proverb 16:25. there's a path before each person that seems right there's a path before each one of us that seems right but it ends in death so as god was speaking to me and i was being divinely transformed i was becoming a new person i was literally becoming a new person and the old things were passing away and Everything was becoming new. And then I am in no way saying that and by any stretch of the imagination that I've arrived in any way. Because I, you know, like, it's just like so far from arrival. But, you know, 
something that really helped me because, you know, in this, I was, you know, just my personality to strive and to do and to, you know, to, to respond properly and to work hard to respond and fast and pray and just, uh, just go. And that's exhausting. Like that just wears anybody out if you're just going so aggressively at it. I was a, at the time I was going to Bible college at this time and uh, I was cleaning out, I was doing uh, custodial work in the uh, afternoons and I was cleaning out the furnace room and I come, this little piece of paper sitting on the shelf and it said, the destiny is the journey. And this helped me, you know, f- that, and realize that my whole life on this planet, the destiny that I'm heading for while I'm on this planet, it's the journey. Our journey with God is our destiny. It's a destiny that you never arrive on this side of things. But it's that hope I was speaking of for Harley, you know, that we have a hope that's going to last forever, that's beyond this planet. The destiny is the journey. I started to rest a little bit more in my soul and, and, uh, and that scripture, be still and know that I'm God. And just really kind of, because I was hard on myself and I was hard on everybody else. Judgmental, you know, like go from one extreme to the other, right? Like that shows me a little bit about my personality, but I was judgmental, I was hard on people, and man, when God shows you something, it makes an impact. And uh, he dealt with all this kind of stuff, and he's dealing with all kinds of stuff in me. So what does persevering divine discipline have to do with all this? Through the process of working on this message here, it was really, this has been really um, so good for me because I've thought about things I haven't thought about since way back then. When I did uh, my father-in-law's funeral, when I shared a little bit at that, you know, I reflected back and I thought of things I'd never thought about before that time, you know, and the reflection back has been so good for me on this because I could, as I'm reflecting back and I'm thinking about the pressures that God squeezed in my life, he was corralling me and he was squeezing me so that I could hear him calling me. And then I, he was corralling me and squeezing me to the point where I was learning more about who he was because he wasn't like me. And I was discovering that he, uh, that he wasn't like me and that I am seeing my need to change in every way. And he wanted to help me to do that by knowing him. Like he didn't want to help me do that by, you know, being clubbing me and slapping me when I do something wrong just by knowing him. So he could reveal himself to me so that I can say, oh, okay. And then because we care when we get close to God, he rubs off on us. And we care about things a little bit differently. It was in the midst of this divine discipline that God was showing me that I could hear his voice. And that he was so gracious and forgiving towards a broken and a contrite heart. You know, Hebrews 5.8 says that even though Jesus was God's son... He learned obedience through suffering. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. The Apostle Paul says in Acts 14.22 that through much suffering we would enter the kingdom of God. And we've all heard quotes from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, God shouts in our suffering and whispers in our pleasures. And you know, it's interesting to me that C.S. Lewis was a man who is, he's quoted all the time everywhere because of his profound statements like that and C.S. Lewis had a hard life you know his life was tough so 
Coming to our text this morning, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. And um, the writer here, he's committed, he's a committed minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's deeply concerned about these people and their hearts and their attitudes and what they're doing and forgetting. You see, Jesus, this is about 60, 70 AD here when he's writing this letter. And these people, you know, like the Apostle Paul was writing, and you see all through the New Testament that Jesus is coming back. Man, he could come back any minute. They were expecting him to come back right away. And some were walking, they were not seeing this happen, and they were getting tired of the persecution that was coming their way. And some of them were walking away from their faith and doing damage in the church, causing bitterness and hard feelings as they were leaving. And the writer's encouraging these people to stay the course of their previous Christian commitment as they can see, as, as um, we see in these verses as we read them. So in Hebrews 10.32, he says... Think back on those early days you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that that would last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Then we see the writer, he's encouraging them, you know, like just sort of shake them up a bit. Like don't forget, you know, where you've come from and all the sacrifices you've made and the rewards that were in it for you. Uh, and, he, and then he moves over to the chapter 11 where he's talking about the heroes of the faith. He's showing them that there's an example of so many people in chapter 11 who've gone through this, who persevered, and whose uh, hope was in the life to come. He was drawing their attention to the fact that the hope of the heroes of the faith was on a better life that was going to take place after the resurrection. This is a message for us. Our hope is in something that's going to be taking place after the resurrection. And so we see in in verse 5 of chapter 12, it says, And he had, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't take, make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, he punishes each one he accepts as his child. See, now this kind of stumped me a little bit, this verse where it says that he disciplines those he loves. And don't forget, you know, uh, don't forget this encouraging word that God spoke to you. And the word encouraging and punishes just sort of didn't sort of fit with me. And I was thinking, you know, okay, what's, what is that? But when I, and as I looked back and reflected on my own, you know, like there was punishment in the sense that he was making me and squeezing me when I did not want to be squeezed to the point where, I looked up, you know, like he, he does this when he, as he accepts us as children. We need to know his ways, and we need to know who he is, and we need to be drawn to him, and this is how he gets our attention. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. 
Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? Oftentimes, you know, what's really kind of sad is that we, we, our relationship with our earthly father gives us a lens of what we, how we feel about our heavenly father. And I want you to know that there's no comparison. Even if your father was perfect, there's no comparison. God's grace and mercy and his compassion and his patience, you know, that he has for us when we look toward him is nothing like our earthly father's whether good or bad. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best we knew how, he knew, they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable at the time. It's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So I know that, you know, like with, when it gets heavy like this and we go through these times, they can be very exhausting. And I know that, uh, you know, when I had my own business, when I lost my brother, like these crazy things, there were, there was so much incredible stress where it just exhausts you and you just want to sleep. And then sometimes you feel like it would be nice if you never even woke up. You know, it's just, it's heavy and it's hard and it's tiring. And, you know, what I've been amazed at in our congregation here is that you know, I've spoken to a number of you and other believers that I have as friends that I've talked to about some of the tough stuff they're going through. What really amazed, has amazed me and really ministered to me personally is seeing you wanting to do the right thing. You know, you're in situations that are not fair. You're in situations that are really quite wrong, but yet you still want to do the right thing. And to me, that's just been amazing. But another thing that amazes me is that when I see people going through the toughest, the darkest, day after day, month after month, and even year after year, and they end up coming out of it just as hard, if not harder, and more stubborn than when they went into it. Like, I don't get that. But, you know, it's just, it's like, wow. Only a believer can say, Lord, your will be done. As Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what's coming, only your will be done, Lord, not mine. And uh, that has really been a huge blessing to me to watch and to see as I've spoke with people. So I don't know where you're at this morning individually, and uh, maybe you're exhausted like this, but, you know, we have that scripture that no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful, but afterwards, so there's, it's going to come to an end. Afterwards... There will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. God is doing a training when we're going through these tough times, difficult things. He's training us. And we need to pay attention to that and learn as we go along. This should be what God's people want. This is what we should want. We should want to be trained by God, allowing him to have his way totally in our lives. And when I was doing, going through one of the darkest moments that I went through uh, at the time, and it really when I look back, you know, I just visited somebody not long ago in the hospital. They were going through exactly what I went through back then. And man, the feelings come back to me. And I just thought, oh, Lord, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I was at a friend's place and I was leaning against the cupboard and uh, visiting. And I it caught my eye. There was a verse on the fridge. And, and on the verse, it was this verse that, you know, if you're needing to be encouraged, this is such a good verse. And it says, so take a new grip with your tired hands and stand firm on your weak knees. 
Mark out a straight, smooth pa- or straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. You know, to me, that ministered to me because I was just felt like I couldn't hang on anymore. And it was like just one of those moments that God spoke right at the right time and spoke a perfect word to me. And it gave me the ability that night I remember from then on just, okay, tightening my grip and hanging on and continuing to go through this difficulty. And what it was, you know, what it trained me to do really, when I look back, the amazing thing was it caused me to discipline myself to focus on the word I took a verse a day and I put it in my pocket and that's where my focus would be. And I just, that's where I'd keep my thoughts. And it taught me to discipline myself to bring my thoughts captive. And I, and I hit the word in my heart at that time just because that was the only way I felt like I was going to get through this thing. If I could just focus on that, I wasn't focusing on the problem that was going on in my life. So we have no idea, you know, like it's what's interesting to me in this verse, he says, it says there that uh, stand firm on your shaky, on your shaky legs and mark out a straight, smooth path for those who follow, who maybe are weak and lame and that they may not fall and become, um, but rather become strong. When I looked at this verse on that refrigerator, it was a new new living paraphrase version. And it says, mark out a straight, smooth path for those that follow that they don't trip and stumble. You know, there's people that are following all of us. There's people that are looking at our lives. Uh, you know, when you're proclaiming that you're a follower of the creator of the universe and you're having a relationship with him, they're looking. And uh, they're, they're watching you and they're watching about how you're responding to life's situations. And so, you know, I don't... Our struggles are real and we all have them. And I just agree with... C.S. Lewis here when he says that God shouts in our suffering and he whispers in our pleasures. When we're, things are going too good too long, we tend to go to sleep. We tend to, you know, let go. We don't press in. We just sort of get cool towards the things of the Spirit. And, you know, we need to keep short accounts with the Lord. There's an Old Testament, the Old Testament church, the Israelites, God says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and to test you, to prove your character, and find out whether you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you hunger, uh, go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. We live by, but live on every word of God that comes from the mouth of God. For these 40 years, your clothes did not wear out, your feet did not blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines his child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. So this is okay that we go through these dark seasons. It's painful and we don't like it and we don't want it, but it's okay. It's, it's, it's how are we handling it? It's what are we doing? This is why it's so important to know the word, to be in the word. Because it's when we're going through this squeezing and it's like, you know, like, what do we do? Well, what's the word say we're to do? Because there's an antidote for everything in the word. It may not feel like the answer right at the moment because it's not fixing the thing right off the bat, but it will fix it. You know, and I think that because we have the spirit of Christ living within us and we can read his word that he will, we do know, we will know what to do. Wisdom is found in the multitude of counselors. You know, get people that you respect, people that not just going to tell you what you want to hear, 
but that can pray with you and guide you and help you. So we all struggle at times. And we all go through seasons when we care so much about people and situations that it hurts. And then there's those seasons where we get cool to the things of the Spirit. It's just the way we are as human beings. And it's not a bad thing. It's just so important that we keep short accounts with God. It's when we don't act on the things that we're being convicted of. We just shove them aside or we ignore them. Or in relationships when we're having a tiff or, you know, something's going on and we just ignore it and we just think we're going to live day after day. This stuff doesn't go away. This stuff builds up within us. And it gets to a point where it gets too heavy and you're either going to crash and go who knows where and do who knows what or you're going to crash and you're going to repent and you're going to say, Lord, you know, I just can't do this anymore. And you're going to grab on and, and let him instruct you. It's why it's important to know the word because when these times come, it's pretty hard to find it at the time. But if it's in you, you just know. You know. And so, short accounts. This is the walk we walk. And the destiny is the journey. It's our life as believers. We need to always be asking Jesus to draw us to himself and give us a desire to hunger and thirst after him. And then we need to turn towards him and then watch what he does. He loves that. Because in and of ourselves, we can't even desire the things of God. But he can draw us. And, he, and, you know, like, and it, we need to ask him to draw us. But then we need to turn towards him. And he will answer that prayer. So maybe you're at a, a place where you're feeling like you have everything under control and, you know, ah, who cares? Well, I want us to read verse 16 and 17 of um, this chapter 12 here. It says, yeah, i got a pointer going there. Make sure of one, uh, that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright at first uh, as the firstborn son to for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he re- was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with tears, bitter tears. And I want to really you know, emphasize that this is all done God's way, in God's time. And when God's moving on our hearts, you know, one of the worst things we can do is just think, oh, whatever. You know, like... Um, Esau, his, he was hungry, and he wanted to satisfy this hunger. This, he didn't give a thought. It says, make sure no one is immoral or godless. When you're saying no to what God is speaking to you about, it's immoral and it's godless. And I just want to challenge you, hear what the Spirit is saying, and you know, turn towards Him. And you know, like, there's, we do need to repent at times. All of us do. It's, it's, it's the walk we walk. It's what our lives are about as believers. And 2 Corinthians 6, 2, it says, Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Let's stand. I'm going to close. You know, I, I hope that in all of this that you know, you're not feeling heavy. I feel. I want to encourage you that if you're, you know, if you're tired and you're struggling, praise God for His Word. To take a new grip with your tired hands and stand firm on your shaky legs. It's about the people that are watching, the people that are following. You know, take a new grip for their sake. Take a new grip. Because people are watching. 
between you and the Lord. This altar is open. And at your seats there, you know, God wants to work with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to minister to you. You know what he's been saying to you this morning? You know, I've just, I'm the, just up here as the messenger. You know, the scripture talks that the pastor is giving the message from God to the people. And God is speaking this morning about where we're at. And he's saying, I want to speak to you. I want to draw you to myself. I want to move in your heart. And I want you to be the people that you're called to be. That's what God's saying to us. And it's so great that he says, you know, like if we messed up, he says, come to the throne of grace with confidence in your time of need that you might find mercy. He's not a condemning God. He doesn't want to condemn anybody. You know, he just wants us to come. And then, you know, maybe you have no idea. You had no idea you could have a relationship like this with the creator of the universe, with Jesus. I want to encourage you at the end of the service come and talk to me because I'll introduce you to Jesus because he's real he's so real let's pray Father we thank you for your mercy and your goodness and that for your word Lord and how that you instruct us that your ways are not our ways our thoughts are not your thoughts Lord God but you give us an opportunity you try and draw us and you speak to us and you want to move us towards you so that we can know you and we can know your word and we can hear you and we can see through your word and and by the wooing of your spirit how we're to live this life and and I just pray that you would just help each one of us Lord God to to move toward you to ask of you and to just receive of you, Father God. I bless your people and I pray, Lord, that you would just minister to them in a just a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you don't know them, come and talk to me.
There's a grace that wouldn't let me fall. I hear a voice, God. God, I hear a voice, God. All the things I know now. 